Hello, and welcome back to Overbooked, a podcast for stories. I'm your host, Caroline Hansen. Today's episode is on Divine Rivals, which may be one of my new favorite books of all time. Seriously, no joke. I loved it so much. Reminder, though, that today's episode is not going to be a review, but more of a discussion on the book. So you will want to have read this book before you listen to this episode. Next week's episode is TBD, but I will update you all on my Instagram over podcast on what the episode will be on. And with that, let's just dive into Divine Rivals. Okay, character-wise, we mainly focus on Iris and Roman. So Iris Winnow, I cast as Zoe Deutsch. I know I have used her before, but there was something about her that I just like instantly thought of. And so I just went with my gut on this one. I feel like there's so many other options on if like if we were to actually have like a cast who could be Iris, but that's just personally who I pictured. She is witty, sharp as a tack, an amazing writer, an amazing daughter, an amazing sister. She's just kind of like too good to be true, but I love her in that way. And she's incredibly selfless. Throughout this whole entire book, if there is people to help, she is helping them. And if she doesn't, she feels horrible about it. So she's not doing it for like praise or reward. She's doing it because she knows it's exactly the right thing to do. And I loved that about her. Next, we have Roman Kit. And I cast him as Kyle Allen. I don't know if anyone knows who that is. I think he was like in West Side Story. He was also recently in Haunting in Venice. And he has that aristocratic look to him. So he doesn't have like the dark, dark hair. But when you see him, you'll be like, okay, yeah, I totally get it. And I totally see it. And he even kind of looks like the guy on the cover of like the UK version. I feel like I actually kind of nailed it with Kyle Allen. And if they were to make this into some sort of movie or show, I actually would love to see him play Roman. He is classic aristocratic who doesn't see eye to eye with his parents. He had like what doesn't sound like a fun childhood. His sister died and it was like he feels at fault. Like he had a responsibility to look over her, but also like, you know, it wasn't his fault. It's horribly sad. And he didn't have parents that like, helped him through it. All he really had with this was this magical house that could tell when he was sad and would send him milk and cookies and stuff, which is the saddest, but like also Loki, the coolest thing ever to have a magical house. I thought that was so interesting. Um, but he's also a very talented writer. And you guys know, if you read this book that him and Iris are basically like nemesis at where they work, where they write at the Gazette together. Or the Tribune. Which one was it? I can't remember now. Okay, next we have Addie. I didn't cast anyone else, but Addie I saw as like a strong African-American character. I saw her with like just a beautiful curly hair and just a force to be reckoned with. I'm obsessed with Addie. I feel like we could have had more of her in this book, but what we did get was absolutely amazing. And I loved her reasoning for like being a reporter out in the war zone. She just wanted to be there to prove someone wrong, and she totally did. She nailed it, and she was so caring and loving and amazing. Loved Addie so much, and I really, really hope that her and Marisol are reunited with everyone in the second book, because if I go that long without all of them, I'm going to be really sad. Okay, next we have Marisol. She, in like the very last scene, I guess, is described with like really dark hair and a bright red dress, and I just like picture 
this stunning, beautiful woman. I have to keep in mind that her and her wife, Keegan, are like 33, but I pictured Keegan as like Tilda Swanson. I don't know why, <laughs> but as soon as I heard her description, I was like Tilda Swanson, which does not like add up correctly because Tilda Swanson is cle clearly not 33 years old. Um, but back to Marisol real quick. She's like the coolest lady around and runs the B&B. Her family is owned for a really long time. If I could go to this B&B &B in my life, which obviously I can't because it's not real, my life would be complete though. It all just sounded so amazing and like such a great place to be. And then Keegan, her wife, is just a total bad A who's like in the army, fighting a good fight. We love it. Next, we have Forrest, which is Iris's brother. And the whole entire book starts off with him going off to war and it's devastating to Iris. I kind of feel like he gives kind of like Gale vibes a little bit, but also PETA because if you remember in like the last book of Hunger Games, PETA's mind is like rotted and spoiled. And then when he sees Katniss again, he tries to kill her. And then throughout time, he comes back. I feel like obviously it's more like PTSD as like a veteran, but his mind is like spoiled. And basically I feel like everything we learned about Forrest prior to the war was this very noble, moral person. And then the person that we were introduced to at the end was a completely different Forrest who was not not really in tune with like his morals and doing the right thing i'm going to get into that more i'm not going to keep going we'll get back to that don't worry next we have aster who is forrest and iris's mother she's a good mom for the most part really sad to see what alcohol did to her and i'm still kind of confused on like the sharp turn she took but we'll also get into that more but when it comes to like the childhood part of the story she sounded like a great mother setting um country-wise no idea i like picture europe but i also picture americans at the same time they are in the 1870s but it feels more like they're in the 1930s they still have you know like that classic attire typewriters they have like some electricity but it's i don't know feels more like the 1930s but obviously this could be on a version of earth where like europe and america doesn't exist don't know the biggest, biggest difference is the fact that they have gods. So they are all mortals and there were gods and now they're kind of coming back and war is just there happening big time. And then the main city we're in is Oath. Okay, things I want to talk about. Number one, the typewriters. Talk about destiny and soulmates. I feel like the story of their grandmother's friendship is going to come back at some point. I don't know why, but I just feel like it's a really good story. It kind of reminds me of like Harry Potter and like the tale of the three brothers. I feel like there's something important that comes down to all of those women and like the connection they had. Obviously, the typewriters were magical, but I feel like that third one in that museum at some point is going to come back. Like maybe they finally make it back to the B&B &B and only one of the typewriters made it. I don't know why, but I just feel like it's going to come back at some point and that these typewriters are more important than we think. But I guess we'll see. Iris's childhood. Okay, it actually seemed pretty good when she was like an actual child. I think, once again, I'm still kind of hung up on how her mother declined so quickly. Like to her knowledge, all of their knowledge force was like safe and fighting and just like couldn't communicate. But her downfall just came so quickly, like it had only been like six months. And I really wonder if her death was accidental or not. It is also weird that only like what the day prior, 
Iris almost died the exact same way until Roman pulled her back. And then the next day, her mom also gets in front of like a train and gets hit. I don't know. I thought that was very interesting that that happened two days in a row. So, okay. I want to talk about Roman's house again for a second. I feel like I was kind of picturing the house from Narnia, <laughs> just like everything made of mahogany, you know, just epic ponds like on the land, just beautiful. But I just love that the house could sense his feelings and try to take care of him because he did not have great parents. Like before his sister Del passed away, at least he had her. But after that, not only did he lose his sister, but he also blamed himself and so did his parents. It became very apparent. They like really did not really love him all that much. And it's really, really sad. I didn't think he was going to like stick it to the man so quickly early on to the, like in the book. After that lunch with his fiance, you know, the whole arranged marriage, finding out that like she was building something really bad with her dad. I didn't expect him to days later be at the basically at the war front with Iris. Like I was actually quite shocked. I thought like leaving that life might be harder, but he was like, no, man, I'm out. I'm out of here. I've seen enough. <laughs> I'm good. Um, but the house just sounded so cool, even though obviously it's not a great place. I just love the concept that like a lot of these buildings were built on like magical lines. So like some like bodega type places had like magic within them. I thought that was so, so cool. Okay, small one, Addie's cat, Lilac. What happened to the cat? I need to know, is Lilac safe or not? That one was really sad and really bummed me out. Okay, Roman and Iris's boss at the paper. I thought it was so odd that all of these, like, once again, aristocratic rich people were so scared of Dacre that they almost ended up siding with him. Even though, like, Emva was clearly the choice of, like, good or bad, she was the good. It reminds me of, like, Harry Potter once again when all these, like, rich aristocratic people side with Voldemort literally just out of fear because they were so scared of him. They're like, oh, he's so strong. He's ultimately going to win. I might as well just jump on his side and get on his good side so he doesn't kill me and my family. Why do the rich people in these scenarios always do that? You like have the funds and like basically all the connections to help the good people and you choose the bad because they're just always cowards. And like that was a disappointment big time. Like you can actually make a difference and then you don't. What a bummer. Another thing I want to talk about is... Is Forrest good or bad? Like, once again, I think his mind has kind of been spoiled. And I feel like there might be an invisible string between him and Dacre since Dacre saved him. You know, kind of like a weird bond that's made when Dacre saves your life. And so I feel like Roman is going to have that same thing happen to him. But he'll be able to, like, break that bond due to his love for Iris. So that's my theory of that. I genuinely have like no real theories for the plot of book two, which comes out so soon. <laughs> um, Obviously there's like a little synop synopsis on Amazon, which we should actually read. I'm gonna read that to everyone. Okay, comes out on December 26, 2023. Or when does the Kindle come out? Oh, dang it. Why did I think it was sooner than that? So not sooner than that. That's a huge bummer, okay. Anyways, here's the synopsis for Ruthless Val's book two of Divine Rivals. So, two weeks have passed since Iris Winnow returned home bruised and heartbroken from the front, but the war is far from over. 
Roman is missing, and the city of Oath continues to dwell in the state of disbelief and ignorance. When Iris and Addie are given another chance to report on Dacre's movements, they both take the opportunity and head westward once more, despite the danger, knowing it's only a matter of time before the conflict reaches a city that's unprepared and fracturing beneath the Chancellor's reign. Since waking below in Dacre's realm, Roman cannot remember his past, but given the reassurance that his memories will return in time, Roman begins to write articles for Dacre, uncertain of his place in the greater scheme of the war. When a strange letter arrives by wardrobe door, Roman is first suspicious, then intrigued. As he strikes up a correspondence with his mysterious pen pal, Roman will soon have to make a decision, to stand with Dacre or betray the god who healed him. And as the days grow darker, inevitably drawing Roman and Iris closer together, the two of them will risk their very hearts and futures to change the tides of the war. Okay, wow, that sounded so good. Um, I feel like book two might break my heart a bit. I feel like book one, I was falling in love for them the whole entire time or like with them more than anything. I knew they're going to end up together, but I feel like book two, they're not going to be together for like majority of the book. And I feel like it might be a bit of a struggle for me mentally. Like you guys are so close, but also with Roman's memories not being there, that does obviously make things a bit more difficult. And I wonder if being underground is also like a part of that. And like, is are his memories gone from like being hurt so badly or from like the healing of Dacre? Because like, what if Forrest went through the exact same thing? Maybe Forrest is the one who helps like Iris figure that out and help save Forrest or help save Roman. Hopefully Forrest gets on my good side. Because it's her brother, you know? It's always sad when, like... Also, her mom's dead. She's got, like, no family. <laughs> I really hope that, like, her and Forrest come back together, like, as a strong family unit. Okay, little refresher on the story of the gods. Basically, Dacre is bored, so he decides to go up to the mortal world and hears Enva singing to people in their grave. Um, and he, like, falls in love with her. And he's like, okay... I have to have this woman. I'm in love with her. And she's like, bro, I'm not interested. And he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to start a war then and kill everyone. So she's like, okay, JK, I will go underground with you. And so she goes down, she's miserable. And he's just like infatuated with her and throws like parties where he's like, sing to everyone. So she sings to like everyone underground. And when she sings like a lullaby, they all fall asleep for a couple days. And during those couple days, she studies every square inch of the underground all like the basically ways to get out they have another party and she sings them again but like very intensely and they're out for a long time when they all wake up she's gone and they're all trapped she like studied it so well she got out and then trapped everyone in and basically all the gods are like what they think is asleep for hundreds of years and then dacre finally wakes up and starts a war he's so pissed that he's been duped because he has fragile masculinity and has been denied by a girl who wants absolutely nothing to do with him because why would she he sounds awful um kind of like a hades situation kind of reminds me it's not like too greek but it's similar enough where you can kind of like i don't know follow it a little bit easier because you can there's like some similarities and it's just kind of a little bit easier to follow i feel like but I don't know. I thought that was so funny that the whole entire time, it's like, it's all about this girl who just doesn't want him. And she's like, I'm really just not interested at all. Okay. So basically, reminder, 
The whole entire book ends with Forrest taking Iris, heading back to Oath, Roman being healed by Dacre and being taken underground. So book two starts two weeks after this. Luckily, I just read this book. I know some people who read it in August and I read it the first like two days of October. So I don't have as long of a wait as everyone else, um, but I still feel like December is just so far away. I can't even comprehend um, how far away that is, but hopefully it's here soon. I feel like my favorite part of the book, I have a couple, I think. I love when Iris and Roman go and get sandwiches and eat outside of work and just like on the park bench. I don't know why, but that was just like a sweet moment that I just really, really liked. I also like when Iris quits and is just like, F you man, and then goes and gets a job as a correspondence. I just think she's the coolest person on earth. And just once again, she knows I feel like she just has like this really good compass inside of her where she just like knows exactly where to go and what to do. And I just envy that and wish I had that. I also loved the morning runs that Roman and Iris went on. I thought those were really special. And then favorite, favorite part was the wedding in the garden for sure. Favorite, favorite part. Least favorite part of the book was when Forrest was just being an idiot at the end. And I was just so pissed off. Roman wasn't even that far away. I'm sorry. He wasn't even that far. Go and grab him. Was it that big of a deal? Like you could carry him, Forrest. And she even said to Forrest, he's my husband, not just some guy. And also we now know that he watched them get married. He'd been like staking them out for days. He'd gone in and stole their rucksack, stole like the jumpsuit. Like he knew it was her husband and he just decided to abandon him. Not a fan of Forrest. Not a fan. Name of the book was so sweet because it referenced back to like divine, the word when he was like, I need some synonyms for whatever it was like, and they came up with divine and iridescent. It's also like nice because like those were the two words that made her realize that Carver was Roman. So I actually love, love the title of it. Best surprise of the book. Mm, I don't know, kind of the end. I thought it was really interesting that Dacre decided to not kill Roman and to heal him and take him underground. I mean, there must be something like special. I always feel like that's the case. You think you're reading about regular characters, but in all reality, they're like the chosen ones. You know what I mean? There must be something special about Roman. I'm excited to find out what it is. Did I enjoy the writing? Yes. This writing was impeccable. If there was ever a time where they were like going on a three-day walk, you got a paragraph. Thank freaking goodness. Thank you, Rebecca Ross. I don't need to hear about a three-day walk. Literally, it'd be like, they finished their walk and now they're here. This is what's happening. There was like no dumb fluff. It was all story and it made me just devour this book and it was absolutely amazing. If you like this book, I'd recommend, honestly, no idea. No idea. This book is like a standalone for me. It's this book or nothing else. It gave like similar energy of how I felt reading Fourth Wing, but they're not the same at all. They're not even comparable but like they're two of my favorite reads of the year. Feeling wise, yes. But I just feel like this book is so unique. It kind of, if anything, the only thing it reminded me of kind of was similar feelings to Narnia as well. But I think that's really it. I think that's it. Rating, I gave it a five out of five stars. Not a 4.5, a full five out of five. Love this book so much. Reminder, next week's episode is TBD, but I'll tell you guys what it is 
on my Instagram over.bookedpodcast once I have decided. Thanks so much for listening and I will catch you all next Thursday.